Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you with us today. Um, we're continuing in our series. And by the way, thank you for everyone praying for me for my uh, strained ligament. My left knee is getting better day by day. So praise the Lord. I'm not on a crutch anymore. Thank God. So I'm getting there. But today we're going to continue our series on when life gives you lemons. And it's a series on the life uh, of Joseph as recorded in the Old Testament uh, document of Genesis, the first document in the Old Testament. And today I want to take us into, and if you have your Bibles, uh, Genesis chapter 39, you can turn there right now as I'm just introducing things here this morning. But the question really we're looking at, because we want to look at trying to stay positive um, whenever life deals us a negative. And when I say a negative, I'm not talking about when life is negative for an hour or a day. Or, I'm talking about when you go through seasons, when life is just sideways. How many know exactly what I'm talking about? It's, those are really tough times. And and we all go through them, and if you say, I've never been through one, uh, give it time, okay? Uh, you'll go through one because we live in a fallen world. There is really a devil. There are really demons, you know. These things do happen, and so, you know, um, what do we do in those times? And so the question I really want to ask today is, how, how does a person stay positive when life is filled with negatives in that season of life? And it's a very important question to ask and to answer because we need to be ready for these things when they come upon us. Because how many know that these types of situations, let's call them trials, they just come on unexpectedly. And once they're here, they're here, right? And then here we go. So you got to be ready for them ahead of time, not when it finally happens in your life. Let me share it like this. And then I'm going to ask a question. Um, about seven years ago, uh, the movie... Everest came out. How many saw the movie Everest? Raise your hand. I just want to know how many like stuff like that besides me. Okay, okay. You saw one person over here, two people here. There's only five of us going to heaven in this whole place right now. Okay, that's just it right now. So um, I, like, I like Everest. I've always been fascinated by the mountain. I had a fantasy in my head because I'm a high Sierra backpacker of, uh, in my 20s or 30s of actually climbing Mount Everest, giving it a shot. But I always knew that there's that one spot called the Kumbu Ice Falls, it's a crevasse, and they put an aluminum ladder over this crevasse, and it is straight drop, and they're like rope lines on the side, and you have to walk over it with your pack on, and you have these what's called crampons on your feet, the spikes, so you get traction in the ice and snow. And I knew in my heart that as much as I would have loved to attempt it, I would have been too cowardly to ever walk over that crevasse. That's just not going to happen in my life. I just, I'm not afraid of a lot of things, but I'm terrified of that thing, okay? So Jimmy wasn't going to go, plus the fact that you have to be gone for a couple months to get that window, the acclimation, early May, and it costs so much money, and so that was never going to happen, and so I, I gave up on that idea in my mind. But I've always followed things about Mount Everest because I just am fascinated by it. When the movie came out seven years ago, uh, I remember I reflected back because the actual event, the people that were really about, that movie's about, it took place about 17, 18 years before the movie hit the screens. 
And I saw a documentary on it probably about 15 years before that movie ever came out about these actual people from the movie. And um, it was fascinating. There's one man in there of that team on that certain expedition. His name is, uh, he's a doctor, Beck Weathers, played by Josh Brolin in the movie. And uh, the story's true in the movie, and he was on uh, what's called, I think, I don't know if he was in the death zone, it's right near the ascent, and as you're climbing up, it's like a log jam because so many people are climbing it now, and you'll see dead people in the snow as you're climbing. And they've been there for a long time. It stays snowy, and they have an, a, a, a verbal agreement with each other that if somebody dies, you can't rescue them. There's, it's an impossibility. Your body just stays up there, you know, for decades and decades. And so uh, Dr. Beck Weathers was up there, and he, it was getting bad. And he, he was, and he was in the snow, out of energy, out of everything. And uh, they left him for dead. He's lying there, and they left him for dead. And, and as he talks, and later he talked, I don't think it was in the movie, this part, but in his mind, he got delirious, and he actually, in this sub-degree sub weather, he actually thought he was in his warm bed at home. Is that crazy? And because, and here's another thing, when you get hypothermia and your core temperature drops from 98.6, if it gets to 85 degrees core temperature, you actually think you are burning up hot on fire and you start to strip off your clothes to the point you're naked. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. And so he's lying there and I remember watching the documentary and he said something like this because it's been 22 years ago since I saw the documentary, that particular one. He said something in me, because he's lying there, they left him for dead, this is it. He said, something in me got me up. And he got up. And he got up, and they have certain base camps as you go down. And the first camp, he left that area near the dead zone, and he actually walked down to the first camp, and his life was saved. Now, he said when he woke up, he banged his arm against something, and it sounded like wood. That's frostbite. He lost, you know, his fingers. And I remember in that documentary that I watched, his nose was frostbitten, so he lost all the skin and everything. There's no nose there. And they actually grew a skin cover for him on his forehead, and then they pivoted it down, and it covered his nose area because he lost all these parts of his body from frostbite. But something inside of him said, get up, get up. And he got up and he walked down, being left for dead. So here's my question, because it's a big question, especially in our lives. What is it? Why is it? Then in the middle of very difficult circumstances, some people get up. And other people give up. What is it? What's the difference between the two? Why do some people get up? And why do some people give up? I want three of you. Just three of you. You're not the preacher. I am. <laughs> Raise your hand very quickly. You got five seconds. Tell me why some people get up and why some people just give up. What do you think the difference is? What is it? Right there, Priscilla. Hope. They, don't have hope. they lose hope. And once they lose hope, once you lose hope, you've lost a lot. That's right. What else? Back there, bro. They have faith. 
They have faith that, you know, if you have faith in God, they have faith in, in this God that God can get me out of There's a reason why I'm alive. There's a reason why I've got to get up. What else? Oh, right there it says. Your surrounding. Explain that just quickly for me so I understand you. Yeah, yeah. Having the right people around you, right? Because if you have the wrong people around you, they can make it worse for you. I mean, they can tell you so many negatives, and it gets even worse. So you're correct on that one right there. Now, today I want to talk about this because every one of us has our story about a bad season of our life, and some of you are in a season right now. But we all have that story. And by the way, once you're out of that season, how many of you know from experience, as bad as that was and how many years it lasted, now it simply becomes a two- or three-minute story that you tell? How many know that? Raise your hand if you know that now. Isn't that weird how that long period of time that was so bad simply becomes a very shortened story that you tell, and there's not much pain attached to the story anymore? So I'm going to give you three things today from the life of Joseph. Look, I'm, look I, I, you're either going to do this or, or you're not. But if you don't do this, I can tell you life will get worse in those seasons. If you do live this, I can tell you that you will get up and you will make it through anything and you will thrive on the other side. And so Joseph's life is filled with this stuff in these short verses that we're going to read today. And so here we go, three things. Genesis chapter 39, the first one is this. We trust that God hasn't forgotten us. And I'm talking to followers of Christ that you and I believe, and we know that Jesus will never leave us and he'll never forsake us, correct? Correct? This is what you gotta, this is what it says, so you believe this. Now, watch Genesis 39, 20 through 23. It says this. So Joseph's master took him and put him into jail. That's Potiphar, who owns Joseph as a slave, throws him in jail. You remember why? Because Joseph was falsely accused of uh, sexually uh, going after and raping his boss's wife. So Joseph never did that, but he's falsely accused. And now his life has gone from lemons to more lemons. It's getting worse as he was sold because of the dream by his brothers way back in the beginning. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in jail. Now he finds himself in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all. Say all. The very important piece of the puzzle here. All the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did the Lord made to say prosper now there are some constants in this story that from before in Potiphar's house and that is now did you notice that the favor of God is on Joseph right that's a constant from Potiphar's house now to the jail you also find that Joseph has tremendous administrative gifts First, he administrates as a slave in Potiphar's house, and he rises up to the point that he runs the whole estate, and Potiphar's only concerned with what he puts in his own stomach, his boss. 
Now he's thrown into jail. His administrative gifts rise up again. And now the chief jailer says, I don't have to worry about anything here. Joseph takes care of everything. I can relax. So you're watching this skill set of Joseph develop in very difficult situations. Know this, that where you're at right now, develop your skill set. Well, I don't like where I'm at. Develop your skill set. Honor God and watch God open doors, raise you up, and move you into places because your skill set is ready. Your heart is right before God and you believe in Him. Amen? Now, look at the other constant. That's this. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, on face value, you'd be thinking, wait a minute here. How can God be with Joseph? He's been thrown. He's a slave in Egypt. Now he's in prison. All these lemons. How can God be with Joseph? Now, this is the big deal right here. Isn't it true that we tend, me, you, all of us, we tend to think that God has abandoned us when we are going through seasons of lemons, right? That's a tendency, right? Say amen, everybody. We tend to feel. Now, let me try to explain why that is. On May 27th of last month, I drove 450 miles home from a, from a vacation with my wife. The next day, um, I had to perform a wedding in Big Bear. So I drove to Big Bear on that Saturday 28th. Had a beautiful venue, great time, great young couple. It was just a lot of fun. And I drove back down that day. Now let me tell you about the drive. At the base of the mountain, before I started going up to 330, it was really clear, beautiful weather. As I drove up the mountain, soon it was very cloudy, very foggy in the daytime where you could not see the road or the car in front of you at times. Then you get up to the top at one Big Bear up there as you're driving through Big Bear, Pinot Avenue and all the other streets there. It was clear as day again from the wedding. I knew I wanted to drive down before it got dark because I knew the weather situation already. I got to get down. So I'm driving down. And uh, same thing, clouds again, foggy, can't see the road in front of me, can't see the car in front of me, and got through there and all the way down. Now, here, here's, here's how, what I want to illustrate. Here's why we, at times, when life has gone sideways, we think God, God has abandoned us. The fog on that road that day is like our emotions, is it not? Is it not? It can really cloud us up, can it? To the point that we cannot see the road in front of us. The road is God in my story. The road is there, is it not? The road did not go away, correct? But you can't see the road because the cloud, our emotions fog everything up and they get in the way. That's the problem in our lives that we all deal with when our life is, is, is haywire when there's a massive trial that's going on and on. And that is, I just can't see God because my emotions are fogging me up and I can't see God because I'm going by what I feel versus what God says. Amen? Now, this is, this is a big issue in a follower of Christ's life. Now, watch what Jesus says to us. It's a great, great truth that we really need to latch on to. Now, Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Now, watch this. It's going to be on the screen. He says, this is Jesus speaking. And how many know when Jesus says something, you better stop and listen. He says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Stop, hold it right there, Charlie, leave it there. 
Honestly, we're in church. Be honest. How many of you in this room are great warriors? Raise your hand. Okay, we got problems in this church right now. We all worry. Every one of us worries. Yes, some of us go further in the worry. We're more, um, maybe you have your masters in worrying. Some of you have your doctorate in worrying. You know, okay. I think I have my AA in worrying. I used to have a doctorate in it, but I think I'm better, okay. Um, now watch. He says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat. Man, I think about what I'm going to eat every day. <laughs> right? You're thinking about what you're going to eat right after you get out of here, right? Some of you are thinking, I wish you'd hurry up. <laughs> or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Um, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing, right? Now, when he says worry there, it's the idea of stress and panic. It's the idea that your mind is being split apart with this worry in your mind. It's back and forth and double-minded. He's talking to a follower of Christ. It's back and forth. Now watch what he says. Here's Jesus' antidote. Here's his, his application. Here's how you conquer this. Watch. Look at the birds of the air. Really? But then he says, that they do not sow, meaning they don't plant crops, nor reap. They don't go out there and reap up the crop, nor gather into barns. They don't store it all up, and, and that's not telling you in that context not to have retirement stuff and savings. not saying that. This is a different context. Here's a context of worry. That's, you must interpret scripture in its context. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you, are you, are you not worth much more than they, the birds? Guys, question. Have you ever seen a bird on a wire or on top of a pole stressed out <laughs> have you ever said you look at that bird and the birds up there going I am so stressed <sighs> no uh uh you know why because God has supplied stuff for them they have to go get it but God has supplied look how many have one of those little bird bath things in your ba backyard I have a little one I put, wa I put water in there I'm not drinking it but I put it up who's prompted me to do that for these birds you know but they drink it. So God has supplied. But here's, here's the point of the whole, um, here's the meaning. And, and this is a big one. Guys, this is a big one. Because um, panic, worry, stress, are those emotions? Say yes. Okay. When Jesus says, look at the birds, I take care of them. Are you not worth much more than they? Is that truth? Say yes. He is telling us this. Jesus is telling us this. Truth affects emotions. Say that with me. Truth affects emotions. Come on, everybody, come on. Truth affects emotions. And it's very, that's a true statement. That if you start to build your life on the truth of God's word and get more and more truth in you, this word that will begin to mm, overpower and conquer the emotions when life goes sideways. Am I right? And this is big. If you don't do that, 
then life's gonna, every time life throws you for a loop, every time lemons hit your life, those emotions are gonna dictate to you what's up and how you're gonna view life. It shouldn't anymore. Because as a follower of Christ, I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He'll never leave me, never forsake me. He holds all the stars and the planets on course. He's the creator of all things. And therefore, that truth, knowing who he is, it, it, it trumps my emotions. Does it not? At least it should. At least it should. Now, let's get to point two. Because Joseph gives us another great, great um, example of how to stay positive in the negative and that's two we do not give in to self-pity now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many live in self-pity but if you do I want to talk to you no I don't want to talk to you now watch this self-pity will never get you anywhere but more into yourself and the more you're into yourself the more you're going to see your own flaws and all your shortfalls and it's going to get worse any amens amen so okay good Watch verse 1 through 7 of chapter uh, 40. Then it came about after these things. Now, Joseph has risen up in the prison. He's in a top position. Even though he's an inmate, he's incarcerated. It says, the cupbearer and the baker for the king, that's Pharaoh of Egypt, offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh is furious with his two officials. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker so he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail. The same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Ah, that will play big time as with story unfolds in weeks to come. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. And he took care of them. And they were in confinement for some time. Then... The cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. So the cupbearer and the baker for Pharaoh, now in prison, both have a dream the same night. And each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with him in confinement in his master's house. Why are your faces so sad today? Now, before I get into this, I've always wondered, and I will never know probably, what did the cupbearer and the baker do wrong that Pharaoh would throw them in prison? You ever think about that? Did the baker forget to make cinnamon rolls for breakfast? What went wrong? You know, the garlic bread's burnt with his spaghetti? You know, what went wrong here? They wind up in the same prison as Joseph. But did you catch what Joseph does in that prison when his life is nothing but lemons? He takes care of them, and also when they're dejected, he asks them, what's wrong? What's going on? What? Wait a minute. Now, whoa, 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 what does that even mean? It means that Joseph, like all followers of Christ, like all followers of Christ, like all followers of Christ, should choose care over comfort. Let me explain. How many times did Jesus and the gang, they were about to relax for the day, right? And then there was more need around them. 
And then he chooses to care for those people over his personal comfort. Now, I'm not telling you never to have personal comfort because you got to take care of yourself so you can take care of other people. Amen? Amen? Now, but you do, as a follower of Christ, you're sensitive to the needs of others. You choose care over, over comfort. Some that's going to make you uncomfortable in life, but you know you're to help that person over there. Amen to that one? Now, now I want you to think about this. <clears throat> Joseph has been in a living hell and yet he decides that he's going to help these two guys and he's going to take care of them. He even asks them, how you doing? How you doing? Have you ever, okay, how many of you have ever uh, um, used that Philippians 4.13 statement, I can do all th things through Christ who strengthens me. Raise your hand. I want to know how many of you. I can do all things. Say, it. raise them. Come on, I want to know. Okay, okay. Now, but how many of you know the context of that verse? Because context is everything. We take verses, we throw them out to mean whatever we want to mean, bend under this, bend on that, till they don't even mean what it, what it says. That happens all the time. Now, the context of when Paul says that in Philippians 4.13, if you back up a few verses, you find he, he writes this, he records, he says, um, he says, I've learned to be content. Now, notice what he said. I've learned to be content. You know, contentment is a learned thing. I've learned to be content with a lot and with a, a little bit. Oh, so now we find the context of Philippians 4.13 is circumstance. I can have a lot or I can have a little. Don't matter which way it is, in my circumstance, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen? And so here's this guy that he's going through all this stuff and all the, and he continues to plant churches, Paul, and he continues to minister, and they try to kill him multiple times, and he's in many shipwrecks, and he's in danger from wild animals, and he keeps going, going. His circumstances are terrible but I can do all things through Christ strengthening me. Why? Let me give you the big truth of why. Here it is. Put it up on the screen. Here we go. I'm going to ask you to read it out loud. I'm going to count to three. I want everybody to read it. Here's the big deal in this point. One, two, three. Do not allow your exteriors to determine your interior. Let's try that again. One, two, three. Do not allow your exteriors to determine your interiors. In other words, don't live in self-pity. Don't let your exteriors dictate how you're going to feel, what your disposition is going to be that day or any time in your life. Okay, let me explain that. Let me, let me try to illustrate it. Um, so if you follow me on Facebook, you know that about hmm, three and a half weeks ago, whatever it was, um, um, I got to go to game one of the NBA finals in San Francisco. My, my buddy called me from up north. He lives on the north side of the bay across the Golden Gate Bridge. And, and he said, he called me up Monday night. The game was Thursday night. He said, hey, I, I got two extra tickets. You and our other high school buddy who lives out in Rubido. He said, you guys just fly up. Fly up Wednesday and we'll go to the game Thursday night. And then he says, we can go to the House of Prime Rib in San Francisco on Wednesday night. He sold me. <laughs> and so, you know, the tickets and I asked the can I go? And the, you know, if you've checked airline prices right now, it's not fun, right? It's real expensive. Now, I had to get them the day before I'm flying, basically. So it was, it was up there, but you know, it was worth it because he got a ticket for me up there at game one. So we go, me and my buddy, our high school buddy from here, we fly up and uh, we get there 
and we come go to game one and my my friend from up north who invited us he's got season tickets row four at the game that yeah he, like he's really hurting for money but and he invited my real flesh and blood brother Steve to come up there and Steve flew up the next day and he sat with my buddy up there in their row four seats he got two more tickets for me and our high school buddy to sit for a rose band I'm in row eight you know that's like suffering for Jesus right there <laughs> and I'm like well, here's the game I'm like right here man and it's amazing I, don't even want, I didn't even want to ask him what he paid for those tickets for us as long as he paid you know so we're watching the game. And if you watch the game, how many watch the NBA final? You watch it? Just curious how many. Oh, good, four of you. Hell, let me change the illustration right now. I, don't know. I thought you'd raise your hand or something. But um, so game one, Golden State is ahead. At the end of the third quarter, they're up like by 12. And so, okay, good. They have a lot of great shooters. But then fourth quarter comes. And Golden State couldn't hit a shot. And Boston Celtics couldn't miss a shot. And my buddy, his whole life, parts of it revolves around Golden State Warriors. So we're sitting there. It's a minute to go. And you know, this game's over. Golden State lost game one at home. And my buddy next to me, high school, he he goes, hey, he he left. (laughs) What? It's a minute to go in the game. No, he just left. Go ask the guy next to me, what did, he, what did he say? He goes, I think he said, I'm leaving. I go, he's leaving? He left us? We're going to walk 500 miles home tonight from the Bay Area? And my brother, Steve, he's down on the fourth row. Game's over, he comes up, and I go, you know, he left us. He goes, he what? He left us. I, so we leave after the game, and it's like, it's like a, a, there's so many people out there trying to get out. It's crazy. And so finally, we're walking out trying to get to the, we're about a half mile away from a vehicle's park. We're hoping he's going to be there. You know, so then he calls us and says, yeah, I, I, I left. I'm, I, I'm in the car. I'll pick you up here. I go, okay. So we get in the car. And we have to drive across the Golden Gate Bridge north over into uh, Mill Valley. It's across the freeway from Sausalito. You know, it's really inexpensive up there. But anyway. So we're, when we get in the car, we're driving. My, here, my buddy who invited us is driving. My real flesh and blood brother, Steve, is here with next gen. I'm sitting here. Our other buddy from this area, us three high school buddies, he's sitting here. My buddy driving who invited us, he's in a bad mood. And he just starts. And he's very short, very disrespecting to this friend right here. And I'm sitting there going, this is, this is not going to end good. This is getting tense now. You ever been in one of those? And I thought, oh my gosh, this buddy here, he's not afraid of him at all. He's going to punch him in the head while he's driving. <laughs> and then we're going to shoot off the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> It'll be Escape from Alcatraz 2, part 2. They'll find my tennis shoes on the shore, my Hoka 1s, and they'll never find me again. And I'm sitting there going, this is going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. And it's tense, and I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. My buddy here didn't say anything. I was shocked. Because that night, this friend here 
decided not to drink. And he's an alcoholic by his own admission. I mean, he gets plastered. Whenever I go up at three, I'm the designated driver for my buddy up here. And here because I'm not getting in the car with those guys after we've been out anymore. Because you go, why do you go up there? Because I'm wi I witness to them. And he gets me free tickets. <laughs> There's motivation, right? And I got to share with this one up there. I was sharing with Jesus. He goes, and he gave me the class. Like, that's after he's telling me how miserable his life is, he goes, that's good for you. I go, no, Jesus is good for everyone. He's the creator of the universe. He's God in the flesh. He's the God man. He's the only God. He's the only one that can fix your insides there, buddy. So I was very adamant about it. You know, as you get older, you know you don't have much time. I'm just joking. But you're going to tell him, you know. Because it's like you see so much mumbo-jumbo. But anyway, and so the next morning, he's driving us to the airport. And, you know, you pretend like nothing happened the night before, which is always so healthy. But you get there, and we're laughing about it now and his angry disposition. And we get off the car at the Oakland airport, and my buddy who got us the tickets, I turned to him in the car as he's about to drive off, and we're going to go in there to fly home. And I told him this. I said, I said his name, and I said, you need to remember something. Your exteriors, all your circumstances around you should never have the power and should never dictate your inner disposition. It should never tell you how you're going to feel about life or anything else. It should never motivate you in any way. No, those are just circumstances. Your inner disposition is what's important. Listen, listen closely. You can come here week after week, year after year, hear a message, and you might even say it was pretty good. But if you don't start to read the scriptures regularly, study the scriptures regularly, be taught the scriptures regularly, memorize some scriptures, meditate on scriptures, apply these scriptures, then you will never, ever have what Jesus said to have a rock a solid house built on rock so when the wind and the waves and the rain comes the torment comes you're not blown away by circumstances of life because you have the truth in you and truth affects emotions correct? you say well is there any truth? there is absolute truth here absolute even though we live in a society a culture that says there is no absolute let me tell you how we refute that one right there they say, there's no absolute truth. Okay, go to the bank and tell them that you have a million dollars in the bank and you'd like to bring it out right now. They look at it and say, you don't have a million dollars. And then you tell them, no, that's your truth, Mr. Banker. <laughs> no, that is the truth, okay? There is absolute truth, contrary to what society says. Jesus on the march, on the walk, from mm, the, the Last Supper in the upper room, he's giving that great uh, dialogue and prayer to the Father, and he's talking to the Father, and he says, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is the truth. Did he not say that? Did he not say that? And if Jesus, the God-man, who came to earth, the creator of it all, rose from the dead, if he says there is truth, this is truth, then guess what? It's the truth. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or feels. You go contrary to this, all you are is Eve in the Adam and Eve story. You're going to become God. You decide what you think is true or not. And that was the lie of Satan. Any amens on that one? Now, so you never, ever give in to self-pity. You never do that. You never let your exteriors determine your interiors. If you do that, you're always going to be up and down emotionally. And you can tell me, you don't know what I've been through. Well, you don't know what we've all been through. 
See, you let you build it on the solid word of God. Now, number three, and this is a very important one as you build your, Joseph's, his life is, is illustrating great points for us. Look, number three is, we do not give up on the dream. Now watch verse eight. Then they said to him, because remember these cupbearer and the baker have both had dreams and it's troubling to them. Verse eight. Then they said to him, said to Job, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Okay. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Let me give you a couple sidebars to think about for those of you who like to think a little more. Have you ever thought about what Joseph, his idea of God is versus what the cupbearer and the baker's idea of God is? Joseph's in an Egyptian culture where they have so many false gods and so many false idols. They, you know, Amon-Ra, Osiris, Iris, whatever they are, and all. it goes on and on and on. In fact, all the plagues of, uh, of Moses that he brings on Egypt were all directed at one of their false gods. Did you know that? They have all these false gods. But Joseph, he believes in one God, Yahweh God. That's it. So now he comes interpretation. Now you realize this is a tremendous opportunity for him to show, to witness, and to share the one true God in a world that's polytheistic in its beliefs. Any amens? That's right, huh? That's right. You live in a polytheistic world with all these false gods. What gods? I don't see idols. Money, sex, power. It doesn't have to be a physical idol. There's all kinds of things, right? And you live in this, and you're in it, and you have the answer because you serve the one true God. Now, another sidebar for some of you to think about, and that's this. Joseph is going to interpret their dream, and he's, he says, Give me, what is, tell me the dream so I can interpret it, because God will interpret it. Now, you ever think about that, that Joseph, um, he, nowhere do we read that he fully could understand or interpret the very dream that God gave him for his life, right? But he's going to interpret this, this dream. Isn't that amazing? I'll let you think about that one for a long time, okay? Because I'm done thinking about that one. Now, here's the big deal. When they tell Joseph, we've had a dream. Joseph, at this point, has been 11 years as a slave, then an inmate. Never did anything wrong. And life's given him lemon after lemon after lemon after lemon. It's been wrong every time. And when they tell him, you know, we've had a dream, Joseph doesn't say this. Dream? Forget about your dreams. Let me tell you what dreams bring. They bring you slavery. They put you in prison. They get you falsely accused. Forget about your dream. Dreams don't come true. Does Joseph say that? Never says it. He says, do not interpretation belong to God. You know what that means? 11 years of hell. 11 years of lemons. 11 years, it's bad. And he still believes in Yahweh God. And he still believes in the dream. And he's still holding on to it. I've told this story multiple times over the years because it's a great story. 
There's a guy by the name of James um, Stockdale. Some of us who are older, we will remember him from 1992, Ross Perot's running mate. Remember him? Okay, you Cal, you remember him. The guy wasn't a public speaker. He wasn't a politician. He was a soldier. Do you know this guy? In 1965, he was flying a mission over North Vietnam during the Vietnam War. He gets shot down. He gets taken captive. Prisoner of war. Seven and a half years. He's a prisoner of war. He gets thrown in the famous, a soldier people know, Hanoi Hilton. And that's where he's at. Seven and a half years. In the book that I've read, some of you probably read, in the book Good to Great, they have a story about him in there. And somebody asked him at some point in time, and they put the story in the book, they asked him, why is it that you survived and made it out, you lived, and other people died? What is, what's the difference? He goes, well, there were many men who said, by Christmas I'll be out. By my birthday I'll be home. Oh, <laughs> by, by Easter I'm surely going to be back in the States with my family. And that would come and go and they'd still be there. And after enough of that, they just finally gave up and they died. They just gave up and died. They said, what was different about you? He said, well, the difference was I told myself, I don't know how, I don't know when, but one day I'm going to get out. I don't know the date. And I don't know how, but one day I'm going to get out. They put time limits, and they died. He left it open-ended. He just knew one day he'd get out. And then he says, I never lost hope in the end of my story. I never lost hope. How many of us lose hope in the end of our story? How many of us have given up on that thing that once we believed so badly for? Do we believe this is God in my life? I'm... I'm older now, and I still have dreams, and I still have hopes. Because once you lose dreams and hopes, you lose a lot. And how do you hold on to those things? How do you keep going when life turns sideways and life gives you lemons? Gosh, so simple. Just know the truth that God has not abandoned you. Just know that you don't give in to self-pity. Your exterior should not determine your interiors. And you never lose hope in the end of your story because your story is God's story operating through you and he's never abandoned you. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your blessing to us. Thank you for all that you've given us, Lord. But I know in any room there's always people that have given up on certain aspects of their life, saying, never going to happen. I believed it at one time, but it's not going to happen. No, friend. Never give up hope in the end of your story. You don't know when. You don't know how. But don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Now, as we sit here today, if, you're, if you are here or watching at home 
and you have never, ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, point one is so important for you today because when you place your faith in Jesus, he will never abandon you. He says, says of him, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll take care of you. I'll be with you all through your life and through eternity. But if you've never placed faith in Jesus, meaning believe in him, meaning dive in two feet first, give your entire life to him, surrender it all, that he's the only God, the creator of the entire universe who sustains and holds all things together. He's that person. He is God, the only one. He came to this earth as the God-man to go to a cross. And on that cross, as he allowed himself to be taken, beaten, bloodied, tortured, nailed, murdered, he carried our sins. He took the punishment for our sins. And then they buried him. He died. Then three days later, he rises from the dead bringing forth new life, resurrected life. And this is what he offers every human. This is what he offers his creation. To be forgiven of your sins. To come into relationship with him. And to walk in a new life. Jim, you don't know, I'm stuck in this and this in the past. He offers you new life. New life. And he's got the power to create the new life in you and around you. But you must surrender. You must surrender to Him. He's a loving God who will never take advantage. So if you'd like to place your faith in Him as your Savior, and I don't know if anybody here is not a born-again Christian, but if you'd like to, excellent. Or if you'd like to rededicate your life because you know you are not living for God. And you know better. And you know better. And it's time to get it right. It's time to walk with him, with the one who loves you, will take care of you, will guide you, who saves you. If that's you, excellent. You want to rededicate your life. So, with that said, if you'd like to give your life to Christ, put your faith in him for the first time, and rededicate your life, I want you to do one thing between you, me, and God right now. Just open your eyes, look up at me right now. Just do right now. I'm going to look out and look back at you. And once our eyes meet, you can close them, but do it, do it right now. Do it now. God bless you. 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 Now I'm going to say this prayer. And those who looked up at me, you're going to say it out loud after me. Everyone here is going to say it with you, so you're not alone, so don't worry about that. But as you repeat it, you put your faith in Jesus as your only God, only Messiah. That's what you're going to do. And the Spirit of God will come and actually dwell in you. That is an amazing reality. So repeat after me. Those of you who looked up at me, repeat after me now. Everybody with them. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me. You would take my punishment 
on the cross, on your body, for me. You would allow yourself to be killed and buried. And you rose from the dead to give me resurrected life. I want that. So come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And I know they're forgiven. Thank you for saving me. Now allow me to pray for you. God, I just pray for everyone who looked up. Please, friend, follow Christ. If you don't have a Bible, pick one up in the Welcome Center in the lobby. They're free at the Welcome Center. Start to read it. New Testament. Stay in the New Testament for two years. Read about the one who saved you. Get into church. Read the Bible at home. Get into church. Worship. Start doing all the things that make for growth. Build a rock-solid foundation in your life for the rest of your life. Live for Jesus. Never be ashamed. Never be afraid. Because Jesus is now with you always, even to the ends of the age. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen, amen and amen. Stand up, everybody. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.